podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Like a bird singing in the rain, let grateful memories survive in time of sorrow. Reverend Mark Baisden does not believe that we were created to tolerate abuse in any form. Imposing stigma slash labels, emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual traumas, denying benefits to those who have need, and the list is infinite. We are a society that has become desensitized to many forms of abuse, to our roles, to the false stories, and lack of more positive outcomes. The underlying apathy slash ambivalence of why should I get involved, nothing can come from my involvement. These attitudes that while no one else is doing anything about it, and no one believes it could happen, so what will it hurt? He could list comments and beliefs all day long. What is a man that does not make the world better? Reverend Mark has faith in humanity that we can return to what is right. It would be hard to believe otherwise, at least for me, after what we have seen, the people and families he has worked with, what he has done himself or not done, and still to have honored to be a part of others' healing growth, and recovery in their lives. Let us live a different message and ask different questions. See the change, be a part of the change, and live a fruitful life for yourself first and then for others. Valeria Tellez interviews Reverend Mark Baisden. As a minister and therapist, Reverend Mark Baisden has seen so many individuals, families, Communities, agencies, and churches struggle with emotional instability slash distress, relational distress, and addictions. The calling that guides him is to serve people no matter where they are or are at. Through that calling, Reverend Mark has been able to work in institutions, hospitals, community centers, native villages and reservations, schools, and in front rooms slash kitchens. Meet Reverend Mark at LinkedIn.com. Here is the interview with Reverend Mark Baisden. Welcome back, Mark Baisden. And today we'll be discussing the topic of changed paradigm in humanity. So, but before that, I have three questions for you. <laughs> the first one is, what is healing, in your opinion, from your perspective? 
Healing is moving toward a sense of wholeness that the many of the pains physically, emotionally, spiritually that we live with or have experienced no longer impact our day-to-day functioning and the great character that is in each one of us so we can move through life peacefully and also share that peace with other people. In other words, share ourself in a meaningful way. To me, that is healing. Just like a person that physically breaks their leg, that leg is going to heal. That the bones are going to knit back together over time. The pain will lessen. And then when the stability, external stability comes off, you're able to go back slowly ultimately fully use that leg without any more problems. Same thing with our lives. Isn't it, wouldn't it be nice to be able to live a life with little to no, no pain and just peacefulness, even in a chaotic world? What a powerful message yeah, for all of us in that reminder. Do you separate pain from suffering? No. Yeah, the same. They're the same. Is we can suffer from just about anything, in all honesty. Anytime we're not allowed to be free, to do what we normally do, let's say to go to work, there is a form of pain. And that can also impact physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. Why is this happening to me? Um, an example of that would be a 12-year-old had bone cancer and the little boy looked at his father and said, why is this happening to me? Why is God allowing this? And as a father, that's a question that cuts you to the quick because there is no real answer for it because we don't know. That's a form of suffering. Um, Being so worried that we stop taking care of ourselves is a form of suffering, but it comes from some form of Mm, non-healing. How am I going to pay the bill next month? If we think today, in today's times, there are millions of people suffering. And even before this, the COVID came and changed everything. There was a lot of world hunger and world oppression and people getting displaced because of floods, because of wars, because of whatever. That's suffering. Healing can correct that suffering. But pain and suffering go hand in hand because the way we choose to look at pain. Pain was designed as a communication tool. Something is not right inside of ourselves, what we're doing um, mentally. Maybe we worry too much. Maybe we're too anxious. That's pain. Pain, it's a message. It's a communicator. Back off. You need to slow down. Or, ooh, that hurt that knee. I don't think I had to do that for a while or only do it at 50%. But we don't listen. But that's what it was given for. As healing progresses, 
pain decreases. Perhaps by getting to that stage, if there is such a stage as being healed, then we come to the understanding that life, everything's connected and we embrace the unknown. Pain might still happen, but we don't hold on to it as tight as we used to. It's also an attitude. For example, we have many people addicted to pain medications in the country. And the attitude of most people are um, that you take a pain pill, the pain's going to go away. When that's not what it was designed for. But that's what we look for. We want to cover up or stop the symptoms and pain symptom. So we take a painkiller. When painkillers were used to take the rough edges off, so we're more comfortable, which allows us to heal better, reduces the stress and tension in the body, and it allows us to grow and learn a little bit more about our limitations. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> um, things that we need to grow up in, maybe, as a way to look at it. Um, and then that's what's called recovery. Mm, yeah. And I use that in my tra- with my trauma uh, in what I do work in, with people that have been traumatized or are being traumatized is that the recovery, it's not about the trauma itself or the act or whatever. It is about the injury to that person. So they're not functioning as well. This is another so important topic is trying to numb pain, which means we are trying to numb everything else, joy. Exactly. And we see that today. Um, what's really interesting about our, the paradigm in our country currently is the fact that anytime there is a significant major crisis in the country or in a person's life or in a community, whether it's environmental made, like the hurricanes and the floods and stuff we've been having around the world, or whatever it is, the first thing that people run to is, in research we're finding this, is alcohol. Alcohol raises in the amount of sales exponentially every time there is a crisis. And if you look at the media from, and I look at, watch movies from my era and stuff and old John Wayne movies, almost every movie has the gentleman or the female coming home, a businessman, whatever. And the first thing they do is to go for the liquor decanter, pre-dinner drink, let's say. Uh, so the second is drugs. And the third, if we're like we are today, a little bit more shut into our environments, in our homes, relationships, is domestic violence. And then that spills over into starting as a peaceful protest, but it turns rotten. And we're seeing that more and more every single day. Are you against any type of alcohol consumption, even if it is one glass of wine a day? Is that uh, something that you don't recommend? I don't recommend it in times of stress because we all very are weak. 
in many ways. We, like you said, and then what triggered some of what I just said was when you said we went to numb. Yeah. I think having one once in a while, what some people label as a social drinker, is not a bad thing. But no, knowing ourselves well enough to be able to say enough's enough is not always, and if we're under stress, is not always used. You have to be, in a sense, I'm not going this is going to sound funny, but in your right mind mm-hmm. yeah. um, to be able to do it. Yeah. We tend to look for things that are going to make us feel good. Yeah, so true. And we don't stop. We don't even follow our own boundaries. Um, When I work with groups and and we talk about boundaries, um, it is not so much about the external boundaries. It's about what boundaries do you hold to, no matter what goes on. Um, Because this deal of DUIs or driving buzzed or whatever else, we don't say no to ourselves when maybe we should. And now when we're under stress and we want to feel good, we haven't got enough money to pay the bills, we're not working, we're furloughed, or we're sitting around collecting money that we haven't earned, uh, which bothers some people. Uh, we're laid off from a job um, and we don't know where the next gallon of milk is coming from. We have a tendency to turn to things that are going to make us feel better. Food is an addiction and can be an addiction. Um, Alcohol, drugs, um, over-the-counter medications can become a drug and become a form that when this alleviates, people are so used to routinely doing something, they're going to keep doing it. That's an addiction. It seems like the first let's say, stage of that addiction in January is the the addiction to feeling good all the time. We have a lot of people that have, that have lived in the current paradigm. And I want to define paradigm at this time in the most clear paradigm that there is, is a paradigm is a set of truths or known norms that are neither real nor true, but lived as if they are, okay? So unless in some respects we can change our paradigm in ourselves, then we're going to be stuck in, in a sense, a vicious circle, which holism, holistic or holism is nothing but the whole, the whole of a person. It's a circle with no beginning and no end. It is. So we have a paradigm currently that people are living, and now that paradigm has been attacked because we are no longer able to travel freely, unless you have enough money. We are almost sequestered into our own little cities or into our homes. Um, Many places are at the point of lockdown right now. Uh, Philadelphia just announced a form of martial law with a curfew. Nobody can be on the streets after a certain time. So people today are trying to find some sort of relief from the pain and suffering. And they're going to try to find it in any way possible, even to their own detriment. 
What is the meaning of freedom to you these days, Mark? An ability, God-given bill of rights, possibly, to be able to make decisions for yourself on what is best for you and how you choose to live or follow it. Um, rights and freedom give us the opportunities to do what we believe and honors the fact that people are sentient beings. They're able to think for themselves. They're able to make decisions. Do they always fit into what is right? No. But for the most part, I believe in every person that there's a little bit of good in them. But a lot of times they don't feel like they can exercise anything. I'm not able to travel where I wish to go now. Years ago in 1920s, uh, 1940s and 50s, you didn't need a passport to travel around the world, and now you do. Oh, wow. You could apply for a tourist visa from the consulate of the country you wanted to go visit. You didn't need to have your ID, your American status was enough. And now, you know, we've got borders that are closed. I can't go to Canada. Oh, wow. Even Canada? Yeah, Canada, the border is closed. Because of the number uh, for Americans going into their country, there's very few Canadians that can go across the border. So what do you do with people that live right on the border and work in America but are Canadian citizens? They can't go to work. Uh, Mexican border is very limited right now across all of the ports because of the number of positive cases and people actually symptom have symptoms of COVID. So many people are trying to come across the border. So, you know, we have very limited travel between states. What is it? Uh, New York and New Jersey and one other city came together and they listed 19 or 20 states that you could not come into their state from. And Alaska was on that list. So if I wanted to come see you and your husband um, for a weekend or in-person podcast, I couldn't come. So the freedoms are being restricted of normal things that I can make a choice of to do. Um, I'm not going to be able to travel to see my grandchildren or my children this year because I'm not going to fly to Oregon. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And if I did, I'd have to quarantine for 14 days, which increases the expenses. So your freedoms are being, the freedom has been curtailed. Now in America, that's tough because we've never had this situation. Other countries around the world have known this type of life for years because they've been invaded or conquered or oppressed Mm. or whatever. Yeah, true. But we've never had that in our country. Um, We've never been told you can't go do this. You can't go do that. If you do, you must do all of this stuff before we'll even consider it. So this is the first time in the history of America that we have ever been so quarantined that our freedom, ability to choose, ability to do, has been curtailed. Which makes me think about freedom from a different perspective, that in a way to be free is to choose what is best, not just for you, but for everyone else, too, includes everyone. 
because we we forget, or we're not taught. Actually, we don't forget, but we've not been taught that every time, let's say, I get up from my desk right now, go to the sliding door window, I am dispersing air. I am changing the energy in that part of the room just by being me. I'm releasing carbon dioxide I'm because of my breathing. I'm using up some of the air. So we, like a ship in the water, if we look at it this way, they displace water as they motor through the ocean. You can see the water being moved, parted, moved. That's displacement. Well, we do the same thing on land in the sense that we move, we breathe, we think, we act, we drive. We're displacing something. We're impacting the next environment we're going into. So we have a direct connection to the world around us and the people in that world because they're doing the same thing. Yeah. So it's wonderful to think about freedom this way, that everything we do, the way we think, it's affecting not just ourselves, but the environment and others. There's a whole philosophy that whatever we think, whatever we do or whatever we do not do, whatever we say or do not say, directly influences the people, places, and things around us and ourselves. Right. I should have stopped for that person. Or I should have stopped at that accident to see if I could render help, but I didn't. And now I feel bad poorly for it. And I think we've lost that life value. And I believe from my faith, it says that that's the way God designed us. Or he would not have given us two of the greatest commandments, which is to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like to the first Love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that's critical. It's, it, we've missed that love God, love people mentality. Yeah, whatever you do to yourself, you're doing to the other. That's powerful even to reflect upon. It is. Whatever I do, if I don't take care of myself, don't take care of my meds, whatever, I'm going to impact my interaction with my wife. My, my cats are going to feel it. Um, that's... That's just a small little example, but you know it's it's no different than today. We get we call to get things done or to make an appointment with somebody, and oh well, they're not here; they're working from home, or we get the automated message. We lack direct human contact anymore, which is creating a lot more problems. Uh, no lo- people no longer feel important. Important, you know. I call my doctor's office. It takes me four minutes now to get through because I have to go through three different uh-huh. electronic uh-huh. receptionists before I get to a real one. And the first thing I <laughs> ask is, "How can we help you? Do you want a video appointment or do you want a live appointment?" Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen a physician face to face in their office for over a year now. That's amazing. <laughs> but that's a lot of our work. And that frustrates a lot of people because then they don't feel important. Right? You know, it, 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 it's getting so much worse. Um, every day that we're in this current lockdown situation or COVID, 
that's the paradigm that's becoming actually hurtful to the people. I just read an article from England that nurses and doctors and first responders are actually being verbally and physically attacked because of the COVID. Because so many people are going to the hospitals sick and it takes hours to get any help or assistance because there's just not enough for health providers out there to provide what they need. You know, I even wrote the governor of the state of Alaska. I never got a response, but I at least wrote him, made me feel good. How are the people of Alaska and in the rural villages to be able to get the COVID testing when it costs about $150 a test? And a lot of people don't have that kind of money. I live in the largest and only city we have here in Alaska. And every time, if I want to get tested for COVID, it costs $150 a pop. That's a lot. And then I have to wait up to seven days to know. Those are the things that trigger a lot of what you're talking about. The loss of hope, the loss of importance, that they're even a person. Um, I even heard somebody in this store where we go shopping, say to somebody that she was walking with, you know, it's like we're not even a human anymore. We're an illness. And I think that that if people really thought about it and if they opened their ears, they might hear a lot more people talking like that. And without leadership and a sense of trust of a leadership, it becomes even worse. And now we are faced with the decision to make, uh, who to vote. And I don't vote for anyone, but I remember I talked to somebody the other day and he said exactly what you said. A decision that you don't make, it's also a decision. So it's better to vote for somebody than not to vote at all. Yes, in some ways. There is an alternative thought to that, though. And that is... Voting is a right. It is also a choice, and it also is a freedom. If a person chooses not to vote, then they are exercising their right not to. Mm, We are free to choose. God gave us free will to choose, to make decisions. He gave us a brain that is astronomically awesome. But we have to, we, one of the choices in our life is no different than when you get in your car to go for a drive. You choose whether or not to obey the laws or not. You can, if you're doing five miles over the speed limit and you don't have a problem with that, that's great. But do you think the cops going to, or the court's going to accept that? No. (laughs) (laughs) But that was your choice. That was your freedom. That was your right. Voting is the same way. It is a right. But part of the freedom that the government keeps teaching us or trying to get us to understand is that they, in a sense, are limiting our ability. For example, we all we hear about are, let's say, Republicans and Democrats, right? If you look at your voters pamphlet for the federal side of things, There are three other groups running for the same office. 
but we never hear from them. Mm, yeah. They're not at the debates. True. That's true. Which is a violation of our Constitution in Article 1. So they're limiting our freedom to choose from the whole. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. I didn't know that, actually. Right. This is the first this is the first election year that we have not had, if you look in the pamphlet, we have not had a socialist running for president. We have an independent. There's uh, two people uh, for the under the independent category. There is another one under the Green Party or People's Party. And the other one is another party that I've never heard of. Um, and I can't think of it off the top of my head. But there are actually going to be five decisions, choices to make on when you go to vote. But we only have heard about two of the five. I didn't know that. How interesting. So the government has reduced our freedom, limited our ability to choose by only focusing on, in this case, Donald Trump. And but yet every election since I can remember or were even somewhat interested in it, which would be the 60s. There's always been more. There's always more than two names on the ballots. Um, I question one, one that is running for a congressional seat here in Alaska this year. On the voters form, when I went to vote, he's listed as a Democrat on the voting pamphlet or on the voting sheet. But he is a registered independent in our state. You can't be both. Unfortunately, they have got us to a point where you have to declare yourself something. Republican, Democrat, independent, or other. <laughs> so many of our freedoms to choose have been limited, just like our travel has been limited. Uh, I can remember six months ago, we were not, we were warned that it would not, it would be best if you did not travel from city to city or, or in our case, city to a village. They limited our access to the, even the rest of our state. So in this election year, our choices or knowledge to be able to make an informed decision for ourselves is limited. They've limited us. And I'm sorry, but our world doesn't seem to, <laughs> our United States doesn't seem to be bothered by that. It bothers me. What do, you do, what do you do on your case for you and your husband? What do you do if neither choices you believe are the best for our country? So we have to dig deeper for the truth in a way ourselves. Exactly. The, Find dig out. Deep for the information, let's say. Yeah. That you have to dig deeper now because your voter pamphlet costs quite a bit to print, even though it's printed on recycled paper. Every state has one. It's called the voter's pamphlet. And it is pretty thick. Ours was about over a quarter inch 
thick. And it lists everything going on in our state and the federal government. There are five different people running for president and vice president. I appreciate that. I'm sure some of the people in the audience knows that, but I didn't know. And now it makes me think, yeah, it goes back to that idea of searching and finding the answers ourselves, not letting TV and the media, especially mainstream media, to dictate what our choices are, as you said. And that's something that goes against what was started, oh my gosh, I think it was Senior Bush when he was president. The big move back in that era was to be the government to be more transparent. Well, we're, it's not as much transparent anymore, is it? They're hiding, they're not giving us the full, and a lot of that is controlled by the media. That's all we see, actually. So I don't even watch TV, but my husband does. And sometimes when he's watching, I can't help but close so I can see and hear what's happening. And I never heard about any other candidates, only two. You only hear about two. And that's because they're the most powerful in this country and they have a control, which is funny. But it's not funny. The first the first article of the Constitution of the United States dictates or tells us how our Congress is supposed to work, what the House of Representatives is to do and what the Senate is to do. And that neither one are, are to have power over the other or to usurp power from either house. They each have their own requirements and their own things that they are to govern. And then they are to cover, come together and vote for it for the betterment of the people. We don't have that today. We haven't had that in about 20 years. We have a Democrat, we have a civil war, as I call it, between the Democrats and the Republicans, and the presidency is right in the middle. They're always afraid to use lose power in one of those branches. And what the article, the first, the Constitution in Article 1 says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way we designed this. So in many ways, our freedoms are being, and freedom of information is being dictated to us based on a very narrow margin. That's the new paradigm that nothing is really, it's a set of rules, values, norms, whatever it may be, that are neither real nor true, but people accept, live by, or whatever, as if they were. We're good sheep. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Well, there are some people that follow the person. Think of, I, I can think of three instances in my oh, 62 years where churches have broke up and they have broke up because of really silliness. But a group of people will follow the pastor if the pastor leaves. That's following the man. Is that following the will of God? I was talking to a friend in California who I've known for like 12, 15 years now. And he struggled, and he was a missionary for a while, him and his wife. 
And they came back to the United States and she decided to pursue her nursing degree and hopefully someday return to the ministry uh, as a missionary. And he says, I just don't understand the world. I almost can't. I wish I was blind in some ways. <laughs> I have to say, you wouldn't want to hear what's out there too. Uh, because people that are blind have such super great hearing. It's wonderful that our senses can take over where we lack something, let's say. Um, and he says, what has happened to us? And I said, well, first of all, I don't think that we believe in nationalism anymore. Um, and he says, give me an example. And I said, when World War II started, in December, for us, December of 7th, 1941, people as a nation came together to fight against the axis of evil in two parts of our world, Europe and the Pacific, okay? We thought of ourselves as a nation. We were glued together, moving toward a better end, a better life for our world. Nowadays, it seems like it's a lot about selfism. What I don't have, what you're telling me I can't have. It's like you and I talk about loss, grief and loss about four months ago, okay? It's the same thing. People are losing something and they're thinking of themselves and not thinking of the whole. And our government, Democrats are fighting against Republicans, Republicans fighting against Democrats. And then it looks like the president is off doing his own thing. So people are confused. People are not seeing any hope. And no, and there's no leadership. And they need, we need a leader. We need somebody. I mean, I think that one of the leaders I might follow is Governor Cuomo. 75% of what he has done has been very effective. Has he been perfect at it? No, and nobody will ever be that way. And I said, another thing that we've lost is there was a time in our nation when we believed every person had the heart of God, the mind of God, and saw the world through the eyes of God. And we've lost that. In my opinion, we have definitely lost that from a faith set of beliefs. And he just sat back and he says, my gosh, <laughs> I can see where that happened to me. And so we ended up talking for quite a while together uh, just on how he saw that. And it was more about our own personal walk with what we believe, our faith, if you will. And when I told him, he says, well, what do you think about religion? And I said, I don't put any stock in religion. There is no word in any of the languages of God that has the word religious, religion or religious in it. It is a man-made word, okay? Um, and so I don't put much stock in religions, but I do look at faith. 
I look at the beliefs. Are they consistent? Do we practice them consistently? Do we have the heart of God, the mind of God, and the eyes of God? And I think for me, that's important, and that's how I try to view the world um, and people. It's And again, it comes back to my faith and what I believe I'm called to do, which is love God and love people. Don't have to agree with what they do, how they do it, why they do it, where they do it, or why they do it. But you still have to love people. They're human beings. They have value. They have worth in their lives. But they don't see it. And it's part of our job to help that. You know, there's an animated movie uh, called Robots from Disney. Wonderful movie. I love it, watching it with my kids when we were young, when they were young. But he's got, there's a great line, tagline in there that says, see a need, fill a need. For me, if I see a need and I have the resources to fill it, I am called to fill it. I can't do that every time or all the time. But if I have, I am called to do that, to love people, to love my brother and sister in a sense. I love your message, Mark. <laughs> and your mission, because this is a mission too. Uh, I love what you said here. You said, what is a man that does not make the world better? So this is exactly what you've been talking about. And regarding 2020 and what we are going through now, you also have a quote there that's profound. It says, like a bird singing in the rain, let grateful memories survive in time of sorrow. Beautifully written. We're almost at the end, but I'll have to ask you about the blame game as we talked a, a little bit off record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my question is, do you think that those who accept the blame game, as you call it, in systems, is in a way showing that they also accept the blame, not game, but the blame idea within themselves? Do you see a reflection? Do you see a connection in that? No, actually, I don't. Um, projection is a good word for the blame game, and that's a good definition of it. When we project, when people play the blame game, blaming everything that goes on against other people or other systems, it is their way, a defense mechanism, not to deal with themselves, not to see a part, their role in it. Uh, and divorce is the biggest one that did that. One of the biggest ones that's out there um, is the fact that it's two people that couldn't get their act together in a sense. But they blame the other. You know what? Um, and it's we don't want to accept responsibility. It goes back to that and what we talked about months ago or last year: denial, rationalization, avoidance, and projection. It is a way to keep us from dealing with our own selves. So there is a connection, but there isn't because it is pushing it away from you to only focus on something far away. Mm, right. Not self. Right, right. So that's where there's the disconnect. It is a protection mechanism, a negative one, but it is a protection mechanism to protect from dealing with yourself. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
You have so many great points. I love also what you said in that article you sent me. Let us live a different message and ask different questions. See the change, be a part of the change and live a fruitful life for ourselves first and then for others. Beautiful message here too. My last question to you is, what is your vision for the future after these challenges we've been through and everything that's happening now? What we do today, how we do it, how we begin the healing, the growth and recovery process will affect what happens in the future because none of us have a crystal ball. We need to, whatever we do today will affect the future. So let's focus on what are we doing now that promotes healing, growth, and recovery in ourselves, but also in the others, in the communities we live in, and in the states we live in, and in the federal government. And that is done by our vote, of course. One of the ways in the federal government is by our voting. But again, if people choose not to exercise their right to vote, it is not against the law not to vote. I'm sorry, it isn't. There's no law that says you have to vote. It is a right. It is a choice and a responsibility if you choose to exercise it. But what we do today is going to affect the outcomes. But I can't tell you what those outcomes are. I do think we'll be radically changed in a number of ways, but I can't tell you for sure because I'm not a... What are they? Clairvoyant, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't see the future, but I can see what's in front of me now and see potential possibilities. But we've got to get to a point of healing, growth, and recovery in my mind, in my life. Thank you so much again, Mark, for your wisdom and for coming from the heart. That's what I see in you. I feel that. So. Thank you again. That's all I have to say uh, a thousand times. Thank you. You're welcome. So where can we find more information about you, your work, services, products, and future projects? Through my Facebook page, markbaisden.332. And on LinkedIn, I post a lot of things on LinkedIn at that time. So that would be the two main places to find out about myself. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much and we'll talk soon for sure. Okay. Thank you. Bye Thank now. you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Reverend Mark Baisden and his work, please visit his LinkedIn page. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.